0: Um, how many of you were here last week, raise your hand, awesome, good to have you back. If you're new here, this is your first time here, we kicked this series off last week called Shipwrecked. Um, we are taking the month of January and we're talking about relationships. Just want to make sure again, I, t- I did this last week, we won't take a lot of time to kind of recap, but ship, right, ship is the word that we're playing off of, shipwrecked. How many of you know that, man, our our culture is littered with just wreckage from relationships, right? And so what we want to do is we want to help you build relationships that are unsinkable. Um, ship is a verb. It's kind of a new term in our culture. Um, when people say, I ship you, it does not mean that they don't like you and like to ship you to another country, right? It means that they could, pr- they could see how possibly you and you could become a relationship, So, uh, at some point in our lives, somebody shipped me and Wendy, right? They was like, I could see y'all make a great couple, so I ship you. That's kind of where this comes from, shipwrecked. Um, And they they make up cute little, like, combined names, right? Like, it wouldn't be Paul and Wendy, it would be Pendy. What in the world, right? It wouldn't be Richard and Bridget Kimmer, It would be They just kind of make these names. It's, It's just weird, right? So, last week. Last week we kicked it off. We talked about the most important thing we can do, the foundational thing that we've got to do in our relationships, and we talked about alignment, right? We talked about how we've got to be aligned. Amos 3.3 says this, can two walk together unless they agree to do so, right? So it's the alignment before assignment, right? You've got to be aligned before you can be assigned. There's stuff to do for sure, and our culture is very, um, would be the word busy. We like to do a lot of stuff. Sometimes we do stuff, but we're not aligned. And so um, last week we talked about tug of war, right? How many of you played that as a kid or as an adult even? As a kid, you have fun. As an adult, you throw things out, right? You throw your back out. But we talked about tug of war. Lots of times what happens is our relationships are like a game of tug of war. You got one person over here and you got one person over here and you're both doing good things, but you're not doing them together. And so there's a lot of activity but there's never any victory, right? Nobody ever actually wins. Just everybody gets tired. Come into a church, bless you. Come into a church and you have like all these ministries, programs, like everybody's like pulling, all doing good things, but they're not aligned. And so we talked last week, the number one thing you can do in your relationships is align yourself. And first and foremost, we have to be aligned with the king, right? We have got to agree with God. So we we use all kinds of things that rhyme, like alignment before assignment. We talk about connection before direction, right, all this kind of stuff. And that was last week. Um, It's really, really important that we remember that. Last week we got aligned. Now today we're going to talk about getting attached, okay? Today in our relationship series we're talking about being attached. Um, I'm going to talk to you today about... The, well, I call it the gorilla glue of relationships, okay, the gorilla glue of relationships, and here's what it is, it's trust, now I know some of you are super spiritual, and right now you're a little bit miffed that I didn't say Jesus right there. Right? Now, Jesus, is the, he's the gorilla glue. I get it. Like, I, I get it. We talked about that last week. When we align ourselves with the king, it means that we're with Jesus. Right? So, if we're getting practical today, and we are going to get very practical, we're going to read the most practical chapter in the Bible on relationships. You can go jump start and just start turning to Romans chapter 12. Or get your digital device out and just tap to Romans chapter 12. Very, very practical. And so, if we're going to get practical Then we need to talk about the the glue that's going to hold us together. Last week we said alignment before assignment. We took some time last week to get ourselves aligned with Jesus. Well, now today we're going to read a chapter that is full of assignments. Like stuff to actually do. How many of you are to-do list makers? Some of you are to-do list makers to the extreme. You have a to-do list for your to-do list, right? Some of you... Make your to-do list and you include things that you've already done just so you can check them off, right? Like, I'm making progress. I got three done, right? So today when we read this chapter, if last week was, it was not, it just wasn't super practical. You've got to be aligned with the king. But today, alignment before assignment, today we're going to start talking about assignments. Things that we actually need to do if we're going to have good unsinkable Relationships. And so uh, the, the, the gorilla gorilla is trust. Let me give you this four word phrase when it comes to relationships trust is a must. Trust is a must. I, I'll go so far to say I know people that don't love Jesus and they have pretty good relationships. Now, I don't believe you can have the best relationship if you don't both love Jesus. Okay? I believe that's critical. If you want your relationship to accomplish what God wants to accomplish, you got to love Jesus. But I do know people who don't love Jesus. And if you're around them, you're like, wow, they're happier than some couples that I know that love Jesus. What's well up with that? Whole another sermon, right? But I will say this, I don't believe you can have a good relationship without trust. Now, I asked my family when I was prepping for this, I was like, so, you know, if I said, like, what's the most important thing in a relationship? What's the super glue of relationships? You know, the gorilla glue, whatever. Um, What would you say? And so, you know, a bunch of words went out. Like, one of them was communication. And how many of you that are married or in a relationship would agree that communication is super important? It's like real estate, it's location, location, location. In a relationship, it's communication, communication. Wait, what'd you say? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Like, that's how it works. But here's what I think. You can't even really communicate if there's no trust, right? Because then it's like we're talking, but you don't know if I'm telling you the truth, right? So we're communicating, but can I trust what you're saying? So I'm going to say that trust is the gorilla glue of relationships, all right? Make sense? Here's why this is important. Because when we we read Romans 12 and we start talking about um, these very specific things that Paul tells us to do, we're going to start um, working together, right? So in a relationship, it's never just you. It's always you plus, like you and another person or you and your family in, in your workspace. It's you and the people that you work with. In church, it's you and your ministry team, right? And how many of you know that once you start doing stuff with people, attitudes, attitudes, Right? Like, show up out of nowhere. You're like, I thought you were the most godly person in the world until we started serving together at church. And like, what in the world? Right? Like, people could just bring out, like, they just bump into each other and stuff comes out. It's like, it's like there's only three of us in our house right now because the boys are in college. You should, you should watch the three of us try to navigate the kitchen at the same time, right? It's like around the dishwasher that's down and like, oh, I didn't mean to hit you with my butt, sorry. It's like, and we don't have a super small, but we don't have a big big kitchen either. And it's just like you get in each other's way and attitudes just start to show up. It's amazing how that happens. You, you could actually tomorrow on the way to work put in like a Bethel playlist or whatever your preferred worship playlist is. And you could be with Jesus, like in the car. You and Jesus on the way to work. I don't know if this works in Charlotte traffic, but around here, right. But here, right, there's not a lot of traffic. It's just slow people going to Walmart. But here, like you're you're hanging out with Jesus, like, you know, you're singing a song, like you're, you're driving with your eyes open, but you got your hand out the window praising the whole deal. And I mean, you could be like this close to Jesus and walk into your office and all it takes is one word from your boss. And you're like, get behind me, Satan, Right. But you say it like this, get behind me, Satan. Because you don't want to get fired, right? Right? That's the way it works. I mean, uh, you, could be, you could get up early in the morning at your house and you could spend time with Jesus. And you could just be so close to him. You could be journaling. I mean, you don't even journal, but you're writing stuff down, right? And then the first person in your house wakes up. One wrong word out the window, right? I mean, this is, this is all so practical, and because of that, like, we've, we've got to figure out what do we do in that situation, right? We've got to figure out what do we do when we're around other people and it makes stuff spill out. And what I'm saying is trust is a must in that situation. You've got to trust in that relationship. And so the, today we're going to talk about that. That's the gorilla, the gorilla glue. So here's the statement. When trust isn't present, it opens the door to all kinds of relationship problems. But when it is present, let's focus on the positive, right? When trust is present, here's three things it'll do that'll change your relationships. At the beginning of Romans chapter 12, I told you to turn there. Paul writes these two verses. Let me read them for you. This is astounding what he says. Check this out. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. Now, I don't know how you read the Bible, but when I see words like plead, beg, uh, depending on what version you use, it might say I entreat you. Who entreats anybody today, right? But it means beg. When you read it, I, I like lean in a little bit. What is the Holy Spirit pleading with me to do, right? And here's what it is. Give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then... Everybody say then. Guys, that was a layup. That was a layup, and I didn't have all of you say it. So we're going to try it again. Okay. Everybody say then. That's an important word here. Here's why. Because that's a word about timing. So whatever happens after this word then has not happened yet. He just asked, hey, be a sacrifice. Give yourself fully. Go all in, even though you don't know it all. And when you go all in, here's what's going to happen. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. This is really, really important. He calls us to sacrifice in verse 1, but in verse 2 we find out we don't even know what's going to happen after we sacrifice. Trust. These verses, how many of you are reading the, um, the read through the Bible in a year plan with us right now? Okay, I am loving this plan, right? We're in Genesis, we're almost done with Genesis, and people are jacked up, aren't they? Um, Henrietta, I love this. Can I just say this? Henrietta, she commented on our reading plan. She said, I don't want to be disrespectful, but the Bible reads a lot like a soap opera. Right? And all I could say was, like, it's so true. Because you're just like, wait, what in the world is happening? Like, these people, they're almost as messed up as we are. Right? Like, they are messed up. But when I read these two verses, it reminded me of something that we've already read in our, in our reading plan. It, it took me back to Genesis chapter 22. There was another sacrifice that took place in Genesis. And it was a father. His name was Abraham. And he had a son named Isaac. Do you remember the story? Have you, you just read it like in the last week, right? And God called Abraham. He said, take your son Isaac, the only son you have, the son that I said I was going to give you, and take him up. And, and look, this is where the story gets weird, okay? I don't know, I don't know how you believe like, what makes you believe that the Bible is from God? What makes me believe that the Bible is from God is that there's weird stuff in it, right? If you were writing your own story, you'd leave this stuff out. But God includes it because he's not scared. He knows who he is, right? And so the, the story gets a little bit weird because he tells Abraham, take your son and kill him. Sacrifice him. Now, when we read this story, because if you went to Sunday school, you know, like, I used to always picture Isaac as like this little kid, right? But he ain't a little kid, y'all. The Bible says that he carried the wood up the mountain. So that right alone means he's not a small child. Scholars will say that he might have been like as old as, he could have been in his 30s. More than likely the youngest he was was a late teenager. So he was grown, y'all. And when I read this story in in Romans chapter 12, he says, make yourself a sacrifice. It reminds me of Isaac who made himself a sacrifice who's walking up a mountain, and he says to his dad, um, I notice that we have all the stuff we need except for the animal. So where is the animal? And his dad said, don't worry about that. The Lord will provide. Now listen, we read that and go, oh, that's so sweet. The Lord's going to provide. How many, how many sacrifices do you think Isaac saw in his lifetime? I, I think he had a pretty good clue. Um, well... Um, I think I'm actually it. I don't know how it's going to work out. He went up a mountain with his dad, but he didn't know how it's going to work out. Why? Because he trusted his dad. And why did he trust his dad? Because I believe this, go back 10 chapters sooner in Genesis. You've already read this. He had heard the story about his dad and the things that his dad had done. Now let me just talk for a second to the parents. Parents in the house, raise your hand. Are you like me? Do you have moments when you go to bed at night and all you can say to God is, God, based on today, please don't let my kids be messed up. <laughs> please, God. I, I, I don't have money for a college fund, and I don't have money, to. but I think I'm going to start a counseling fund. I think I'm going to have to start a counseling fund because I think I'm driving my kids to counseling for the rest of their life, right? Like, I don't know how you, how you feel about parenting. It's hard, y'all. And and I feel like you feel like you're failing, and even when when it looks like they got it, you're like, did they get it? Is anything I'm doing sticking? So if you don't get anything else out of what I say, mom and dad, listen to this. Isaac was willing to put his trust in his dad to to go with him even when he didn't know what was going to happen because he had heard the story about how his dad got called by God. And in Genesis chapter 12, do you know what God said to Abraham? Verse 1, he said this, leave your native country, your relatives. Now, I don't know your relatives, but some of y'all are like, gladly, right? I will leave my relatives. Leave your father's family, listen to this, and go to the land that I will show you. Basically what, he, what God said, here was the call from God, leave. Uh, what, do you, what do you mean? Just start walking. Okay, where am I going? I'll show you. What am I taking? Nothing. And he did it. Abraham trusted God. And Isaac heard about it. And because of that, Isaac was able to trust Abraham, his dad, and God. Here's here's the point. When there's trust in a relationship, it allows us to be involved even when we can't be informed. I'm going to say that again. You should probably write it down. It allows us to be involved, even when we can't be informed. Here's why that's so important. Our culture wants to know everything, don't we? <laughs> you like you can't even say your spouse is like that because so are you. I am too. Like when we say, "Hey, would you like to?" and we and there's an offer opportunity to do something. Our usual response is, "What does it involve?" Well, what if you don't know? Trust in a relationship allows you to be involved even when you can't be informed. Abraham didn't know it all, but he went all in because he trusted God. Isaac didn't know it all, but he went all in because he trusted Abraham. Our attitude is usually if I don't know it all, I won't go at all, right? But God's saying, hey, have trust in your relationship so that when you don't know everything that's happening, you can still be all in. Why is that so important? Because there's always going to be seasons when we don't know it all. Now listen, I need to clarify this, okay? If you're in a relationship, I am not saying you should keep secrets from the people that you're in a relationship with. It's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that there will be, because it's real life, there will be times when we just won't know it all. When the connection's not quite as tight as it used to be. Let me, let me see if I can think of a few examples, and then we'll move on. I know I'm hitting this one hard, but I think we got to get this. Um, let's see. When the boys were born, they're now in college. But when they were born seven weeks early, I don't think Winnie and I slept for three months. Y'all, we were not close because we smelled bad, right? It's like you try to hug each other. It's like, oh, just go get a shower, right? Just, how about right now? Right now... This is no different than a lot of seasons you're in. I haven't, I haven't seen Wendy much in the last week and a half. She's in Columbia most of the time because her dad's in the hospital. She's hanging out just praying with him, spending time with him. There are seasons, listen, if, if we're so insecure that we have to know everything, I've got I to gotta use the Find Friends app to see where my wife's at. There's no trust in that relationship. That relationship is doomed. Trust allows us to be involved. I've never been more all in on my marriage than I am right now, and we're not even together. I can't know everything, but I can trust. That's what God's calling you to do. With God, for sure, but even with one another. Trust allows you to do that. God rewards that contrast. Kind of it's not easy for sure. But listen to what happened to Abraham in Hebrews chapter 11. This is called the hall of faith, right? So Hebrews 11, God takes all these amazing stories of people that live by faith and he puts them all in one chapter and Abraham's in there. And here's why he's in. Check this out. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and to go to another land that God would give him as, 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 as his inheritance. Here's the last sentence. He went without knowing where he was going. It was just the yes. Okay, I'll go. I trust you, God. And even though I can't be all informed, I'm still going to go. I'm going to be involved even if I can't be informed. Man, that's that's gorilla glue for your relationship right there. That's what trust does. It allows us to stay close even when there's information missing. Here's the second thing that trust does. It allows us to give our best to our part. A couple examples for you. One, I've never been in a war. I'm not complaining about that. I'm blessed, right? I'm blessed to live in a country where I have, I've not had to go fight for my freedom. But if you've been in the military, if you, and especially if you've been in a war, you're going to understand this. Let's just call this the foxhole principle. Can we? This is You don't want to be in a foxhole with people who aren't taking care of their part. You want to be in a foxhole so you can take care of your part and trust that they're taking care of their part. Right? That's how this works. Romans chapter 12, Paul says this in verses 4 through 8. He says, Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, then take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, look, you can't do everything, but I've called you to do something. Some of you don't even think you're gifted to do anything. and We just read it. Paul said all of us are gifted to do at least one thing well. I would say one thing. I don't know what your one thing is. Their one thing is to say what I say. Y'alls, I'm not sure about, right? But whatever your one thing is, Paul says do it and just do that. When I was in college, I tried to play football. Um, I had never played, I mean, because middle school football doesn't really count, right? But I tried to play football in college and it lasted for one spring, um, like, the spring season, right, so I, I played in the spring, didn't make the team, ended up being the manager, don't have time for that story, long story, right? But here's, I learned a couple things. Here's one thing that I learned. Because I was trying out, I was on offense and I played wide receiver, and so I would be, like you stand at the practice field with the coaches and stuff while they're teaching the starters, because I did not i wouldn't starter, so they teach the starters how to run plays. And so whenever the offense was on the field, like in practice, we're all kind of standing behind, and you could hear the coach giving instructions. And so here's what he would say, on a running play. Halfback is here, quarterbacks in front of them, like somewhere at the end of the stage is the, is the offensive line. And whenever there was a running play, this principle would play out. You've got to trust. Trust allows you to give your best to your part. And so if it was a new running back they would get handed the ball, and I don't know how you're, like, how teams all they have like, special language and whatever one word means, one thing to one person, but on the offensive line there's called gaps, right? So there's like the A gap and the B gap and maybe a C gap, I'm not sure, but I, th- I think that's as far as it goes, right? So if it was a new running back, let's say the play was something like um, watermelon pretzels three, you know, whatever, but he would just know you're going to get handed the ball and you have to run through the B gap. And so he would get the ball, and if he was a new running back, he would, he'd get it and he would look in front of him and, and he wouldn't know what to do because there's no hole there. And so he'd start like, looking all around trying to find another place to go, and then he'd up getting no, nothing. And the coach every time would come over and he'd start using words I can't repeat, right? And then he said this, listen, when you get handed the ball, your job is to run as fast as you can to the B-gap. Now I know right now in the B-gap, you're just gonna butts. That's all there is, right? Because there's these humongous offensive linemen, like right here. And he said, there's no hole there yet, but it will be there when you get there. Because they're going to block the people they're supposed to block, and then there's going to be a place for you to run through. And if you're back here, like, dancing all around, trying to figure out what to do, the defense is going to have time to respond. So when you get the ball, son, run as fast as you can towards their butts, and they'll be gone when you get there. Even if you're not a football fan, watch the playoffs today. And you will see this principle played out in front of you. The hole is not there. And you have to run as fast as you can, do your part and the best you can at your part, and trust that they're gonna do the best at their part, and it's all gonna work out. That's what Paul's saying. I don't know what your gift is, but whatever it is, do it. And don't hover over others. And try to do theirs as well. Because you can't block for yourself when you're running. Trust allows you to give your best to your part. Can I just tell you that relationships with no trust will be run by one person. And one will feel controlled every single time. And it won't last. For the same reason why, now I know we think relationships like marriage, a marriage will never last like that. For the same reason why at your job, if you have a boss who's always looking over your shoulder, you're not going to stay there, right? You're going to be like, dude, you hired me to do a job. Leave me alone, right? And if you're a boss always looking over somebody's shoulder, you're going to eventually be the only person on your team. Because you don't have trust. And when you don't have trust, you can't let people do what they're called to do. Trust allows you to give your best to your part and trust that others will do the same. And I can, listen, I can already hear you objecting, right? And I'm not going to object to your objection because your objection is completely legitimate. And here's what it is. I can hear it. I can hear it. So you're all saying the same thing at the same time. It's like a mind trick, right? You're all saying, but Paul, I've done that. And I'm broken today because of it. I actually was in a relationship. And I gave the best of myself to it. And he or she, my boss, my whoever, they did not. And the relationship failed. And what you're telling me to do is to do the same thing again. And somehow, this time, God's going to come through. What am I supposed to do if I've already tried that, and my heart is shattered as a result? What I want you to know is this. That the verses in Romans 12 from 9 to 21 were written for that exact situation. Listen to these words while I read them. And then we're going to go back and we're going to pull them apart. Verse 9 says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. If you highlight in your Bible, just highlight that and circle it. We're going to come back to that. That is the hinge that holds the whole chapter together. Verse 10. Love each other with genuine affection. Take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. Remember the being when I said it last week we talked about alignment, and today we're going to read a book, a chapter full of assignments. These are the assignments, right? And they're heavy, right? Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. Keep on praying. Verse 13. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy. And weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. At this point, you should be rolling your eyes, by the way. I'm just giving you freedom to do that, okay? I'm with you. Verse 17, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that any, everyone can see that you're honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you. But conquer evil by doing good. Now, I told you at the beginning that this was like an uber practical chapter, right, full of assignments. And as we read through those assignments, if you're like normal people, the reason that you're rolling your eyes is because you're like, that ain't going to happen. I mean, nobody loves Jesus that much, right. Are you kidding me, Paul? Seriously, like. I know the Holy Spirit told you to write that, Paul, but like that's, n- nobody does that. Here's what I want you to understand. Here's why trust is so important. Because what we just read proves that there will be gaps in our relationships. There is always going to be a gap between what you expect and what you experience. Always. People are always going to let you down. You're going to let yourself down. God's going to let you down. And Paul knew that. And so here's how this works. Trust allows us to put grace in the gaps. Trust doesn't get rid of the gaps. There are always going to be gaps. Somebody's always going to promise something and not come through. Or they're they're not going to live what we just read. You're not going to live what we just read. And there's going to be gaps. And the question is, what goes in the gap? Grace. Grace. Usually, we stick a wedge in there and start making the gap bigger, right? But God wants us to put grace there. And when we trust God and when we trust the other person, we can pour grace in there. You find yourself saying things like this. Um, we'll just take verse 11. Never be lazy, but work hard. <laughs> That's fun. Never read that to your family on a Saturday morning, right? Never be lazy. Y'all know lazy people? hmm You know who lazy people are? Lazy people are, are anybody that you run into after you just did yard work all day. That's a lazy person. Now, you don't know that they probably did yard work at their house too, but you don't think that, so you make the assumption, you've just been laying around all day long, I've been working hard, right? A lazy person is whoever didn't work as hard as you. So you can see how easy it is to make the assumption and put a wedge in a gap instead of saying, man, I, they might be just as tired as I, I bet they had to. I bet they had to clean up from the storm as well. Maybe I'm, I'm going to pour some grace in that. Or, or that's not who you are. I know you. Got all short with me and said bad things, but that's not who you are. I know you, right? Or you hear something bad about somebody else and instead of going, I know, aren't they always like that? You find yourself saying, that's, huh. I mean, I'm not saying... You're not telling me the truth, but that does not sound like them. I might want to investigate that a little bit more. You just pour grace into the gaps. It's critical. It's huge. It's a humongous thing in relationships to do this, to pour grace in the gaps. And so trust is to really glue. Look back up at verse 9. I told you this is the verse that hinges the whole chapter together. i got to wrap this up. It says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. What I love about this verse is the words hold tightly. Now, if you have the the NIV, yours probably says cling. And so the the Greek word for hold tightly, do you know what it means? Glue. Literally, that's what it means, glue. It means glue yourself to what is good. Cling to what is good. Gorilla glue yourself to what is good. Can I just change it just a tad and say, I think what we're supposed to do is gorilla glue ourselves to who is good? And that's God. Now, here's why that's so important. Here's why I love the Bible. He starts the chapter saying this Hey, you should sacrifice yourself. You should go all in, even though you don't know everything. That'll be fun. And we're like, But what's that going to look like? Oh, I, I don't know. I, just Just do your part. Whatever your part is, do it the best you can and trust other people to do their part. And then he's going to he's going to he he knows that if we start doing that, somebody's not doing their part, right? Is this true? I mean, don't even look at the person next to you, right? Somebody's not doing their part. And so right in the middle, right after he tells us that, he says, "Listen, don't just pretend to love each other. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good." And then he gives a whole bunch more things to do that he knows people aren't always going to do, right? And he says, "But here's what. Don't forget, like that, glue yourself to God, glue yourself to the goodness of God." And here's the beauty of it: when I glue myself to God, I just imagine I got this big thing of gorilla glue, and I trust God with everything I've got. And if I put that all over my soul and I attach myself to God and His goodness, that was kind of a weird visual. I'm so sorry, y'all. I turned into some kind of weird salsa dancer. If I attach my soul to the goodness of God. Guess what's going with me into every relationship I have? The goodness of God. And nothing's pulling it off. I'm literally taking His goodness into every relationship I have. You're basically saying to your spouse, you want to fight? You have to come through the goodness of God first. If you can do that, good luck, right? You take the goodness of God into every work situation you have. You end up hearing people say stuff like this. I I give him or her so much work. I'm so mean to them. And they're just always like talking about God, how good he is. I don't get it. It makes no sense, right? It changes everything. We attach ourselves to his goodness. We take his goodness everywhere we go. Now, here's what I want you to remember. And then we're going to practice this, okay? A lot of people appreciate the goodness of God. I don't know if you were raised in church. I was. Can I tell you what I know about church people? We talk a lot. We do a lot of talking. We make it sound good, right? I want my points to be really good today. I want them to rhyme. I don't really try to make them rhyme. It's just a gift or a curse, depending on your perspective, right? We talk a lot. We don't do a lot. And so we appreciate God's goodness. We sing songs about it. We talk about it. We have Bible studies. We learn the Greek words, right? We, we talk a lot about it. Appre- He's so good. You're so good, God. You can appreciate God's goodness and never have it change you. But you cannot attach yourself to his goodness and not be changed. And so this morning what I'm asking you to do in your relationships, you want to keep relationships from being shipwrecked, I'm asking you to attach yourself to the goodness of God. And here's how we're going to do it. The lights are going to dim in just a moment. And um, there's going to be a song that plays. It's going to be on both video screens. It's a it's a new song just out from Bethel. Um, some of you know it by heart because we've listened to it on repeat for so long now, the last couple of weeks. Um, but it just talks about the goodness of God, and I want to give you some space to attach your soul to His goodness. And then, as the song comes to an end, the, our band's going to come back up, and they're going to lead us in one song. And then, during the song that they lead us in, here's what you're going to do: after you've attached yourself to the goodness of God, I'm going to invite you to come to the altar. You can come to the altar during the first song too, but I'm going to ask you specifically to come, and we're going to pray about one relationship that you have in your life right now that you need to carry the goodness of God into, okay? So this first song, while it plays, and it's getting ready to start, I just want you, you and the Lord, right, just respond to His goodness, attach your soul to His goodness, and then we'll take the next step.